The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. Michael Graff Show. Hello, how come I rich and you not? How come you not sell real estate like I do? How come I sleep with your wife while you at work and then I pee in your toilet and don't flush? And sometimes I open the back part and I pee in there so that when you flush, pee come out. You know why? Because I'm smart. I'm smart, you stupid. Michael Graff. We're dealing with one sick son of a bitch. Okay, okay, let's try to watch the language. There's children present, yeah? That's right. One in ten support D's nuts for president. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Hey, that's just a regular unattractive guy who's not famous. Michael Groff. If it's a legitimate rape, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. And you're an idiot. <laughs> At the tone, the time will be 26 Railroad. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, that's what gay is? Oh, yeah, I could totally get into that. The following program is in the hands of a guy whose professional and personal lives are about as depressing as the idea of Donald Trump with access to the nuclear codes. From his exile in the urban desert, it's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Welcome in this first day of August 2018, the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Here we go again. Living in this three ring circus like we do. Oh, man. All right, groffshow at gmail.com. That's our email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. That's also the PayPal address for this program for your most generous contributions. Again, groffshow at gmail.com. Email and PayPal. On Twitter, you can find me at Michael Groff. Facebook, it's The Michael Groff Show. And for everything else Michael Groff related, you go to the one, the only MichaelGroff.com. And while you're there... Well, you can check out previous episodes of this program. You can also subscribe to us so that you get notifications when we post new shows. I would also suggest that you uh, sign up for our show, subscribe to our show on Apple or on Google, on iTunes or Google. That way um, you can get shows sent to you that way. And that helps me out a lot. So I highly encourage you to do that. And before I get into some of the stuff I want to talk about today, and of course there is a lot, as there always is, this is such a wild story. It seems almost unrealistic, but um, there's a guy in Wisconsin named Greg Mentifel. He's 48 years old, and this all started about a month and a half ago. His wife comes home from work. She finds him not feeling well at all. He's throwing up. He's got flu-like symptoms, and he says, no, nah, I'm going to be all right. I'll soldier through it. Everything will be fine. The next day, his son, his 25-year-old son, comes over to the house and finds him still not feeling well, actually doing worse. Now he's got these strange marks on his body. It looks like bruising in some spots, like he's been beaten up. And so uh, he calls the family, and he's like, what should I do? I guess I'll take him to the hospital. So even though he says that he's going to be fine, you know, takes him to the hospital, and the hospital says there is something really wrong here, but we're not equipped to really handle it so they had to take him to another hospital in a larger city he lives in uh uh some small town in wisconsin i can't find the name here but um so they take him to a bigger hospital and the doctors say that he's got sepsis his there's just all this bacteria in his blood and it's poisoning him and 
Um, they have to do all these different procedures and surgeries, and they say, well, unfortunately, this has progressed to the point where we're going to have to amputate his hands and the lower part of his legs from slightly below the knee on down. And obviously, this is a really terrible situation, an awful story, and they're trying to trace back how this got started in the first place. Well, as it turns out, well, Greg Menefel was on one of his job sites as a painter, painting a house or something. A stray dog comes over to him, and the dog seemed really friendly. Um, Menefel is a dog lover. He owns dogs of his own, so he figured, yeah, why not just go over and pet the dog? Well, he does, of course, and the dog is super cool, super friendly. Uh, pets him, the dog nuzzles him, gives him kisses, like all friendly dogs do. And he doesn't think anything of it. Then a couple of days later, that's where he starts getting sick, and the story begins. Well, it turns out that this dog has a type of bacteria called Capnocitifaga canamorsis, and it's a bacteria that's actually found in 70% of dogs and about 60% of cats' mouths. It says here that this type of bacteria primarily appears in healthy dogs and cats. So you might think, well, this is obviously something that should be happening to more people then, but the circumstances necessary for such an infection or such an illness to occur are extremely rare. It takes like a, a super, almost like a perfect storm for this to happen. And that's exactly what happened to this guy. Now, some people do experience some illness as a result of being exposed to this bacteria, this Capnocitifaga canamorsis. But for the most part, that's where it stops. You might get allergy-like symptoms. You may get a mild fever or some swelling around the area where you were licked, a skin reaction. I've had skin reactions from dog licks before, but I'm allergic to some types of dogs, and it's very random, the dogs that I'm allergic to. And they say that this kind of a thing is so incredibly rare, but the people that are most likely to have this happen to them are people over the age of 40, those that have weak immune systems, people without a spleen. Uh, those are the most likely candidates. I don't know why not having a spleen is going to increase your chances, but that's what they say here. Oh, also of note, even if you want to test for this type of bacteria, once again, it doesn't mean that just because the animal has the bacteria that anything would ever happen to you in the first place because so many dogs and cats have this. And the other thing is the bacteria is not always in the mouths of dogs and cats. Uh, sometimes it goes away for a while, then it comes back. The, there's many types of bacteria that are like this, depending upon environmental conditions, what the dog has eaten, uh, what it's been exposed to, etc. So the bacteria in and of itself is not necessarily bad, but it, if in certain cases, a, sort of a chemistry experiment, that's when this can get pretty bad. Of course, if you want to avoid it entirely, eh, just don't be around dogs or cats. That'll uh, <laughs> That will... Make sure that you don't get this. I don't know. I'm an animal lover, too, so I could never do that. I see a dog. I want to pet a dog, um, even though, again, yes, there are some dogs that I'm allergic to. Um, I'm not really allergic to cats. I guess if I'm around about seven or eight of them at a time, I could get pretty bad. But for the most part, um, you know, cats don't usually lick people either. So that's not necessarily a problem. This bacteria, I suppose, could linger on the fur for a while. I don't know how long it lives outside of the body or anything else about it, but um, that is a very weird story. I guess it's not that bizarre when you think about it. I mean, we have those spiders, the brown recluse spider. When it bites you, it's got that acidic venom that essentially corrodes your skin. It just destroys skin cells and even flesh, and it'll just go all the way down. It can go all the way down to the bone. It just depends on the spider, the amount of toxin that it puts into you 
there's a lot of factors, your your body's ability to resist it. But they're, once they bite you, sometimes it can leave permanent damage. And a few people that have been bitten by brown recluse spiders, they experience such a bad reaction to it that if they bite their foot or something, that you can lose your foot. And sure, that's a circumstance that's kind of rare until, of course, it happens to you. That's why whenever I hear those statistics, I always laugh. Oh, the chances of this happening are like one in a million. Yeah, but that doesn't do you any good if you're the one in the million. If it happens to you, who cares what the odds are? It happened. So that's <laughs> the statistics are weird. But um, anyway, that's the brown recluse spider. And that the odds of that doing damage to you are far greater because uh, that the bite of those things, they just have that venom. So... Uh, and they're, they're around here in the Southwest. I don't see too many of them here in Phoenix, but I know they're around Arizona. They're more common in parts of Nevada and California. So uh, I would just suggest avoiding all spiders. Just avoid everything. Just stay inside. Be a shut-in. Oh, and speaking of the Centers for Disease Control, they had to put out a PSA here very recently, and I can't, I can't believe that this is even a thing that people are doing. Uh, folks, don't wash your condoms and reuse them. I know we're a society that has people in it that have eaten Tide Pods, recorded themselves uh, while jumping out of a moving vehicle to start dancing alongside of said moving vehicle and snorting condoms. But now the thing to do, apparently, is to rewash condoms and reuse them. The Centers for Disease Control says here, and I can't believe I have to read this, but apparently there are some people out there that do this. Condoms are designed to help protect you and your partner against sexually transmitted diseases and unwanted pregnancies. Reusing condoms makes them completely ineffective, according to experts. Like, did they really need experts to weigh in on this? The CDC's tweet that they put out here a few days ago reads exactly as follows. We say it because people do it. Don't wash or reuse hashtag condoms, exclamation point. Use a fresh one for each hashtag sex act. This is a new trend that's going on. Like, who does that? Oh, yeah, baby, I'm ready for round two, but uh, I'm out of condoms. You know what? I bet if I wash this one, put a little dish soap in there, maybe some Dawn, and just, um, you know, wash it real good, I bet we can go again. Yeah, except for the fact that these things have, um, they have spermicide on them, which, of course, you'll wash off. And I don't know. You'll probably put a hole in it. Those things, it's very easy to put a hole in a condom. So, uh, yeah. But hey, I'm helping the environment. Reduce, reuse, recycle, right? Yeah, that's not exactly how that works. You generally don't want to do that with condoms. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's not the only stupid trend that's going on out there. There's also this other one. There was the ice bucket challenge. Well, this isn't even a challenge. This is just, I guess, a prank that kids are playing on each other now and... This is like a scene right out of Jackass. People are pouring scalding hot water on one another. And it's funny, it's fun, except for the fact that immediately your skin starts peeling off and it does permanent damage. You know, other than that, it's great. It's a, an old torture technique, actually. And people are just willingly doing it to each other. Some people actually say that they want that done to them and then they find out how quickly they don't. And I just read another story the other day about the guy that had it poured all over his chest and immediately the skin starts coming off and it's just, it looks like a horror scene. Yes, there's permanent damage. It's just like burning someone with fire. Uh, scalding hot water will do the same kind of damage, actually maybe even worse because water flows and moves very quickly, whereas fire doesn't move quite as quickly. It's just disgusting. 
I know whenever I read the comments to this or whenever I hear people talk about this on the radio, the first reaction that is always out there is to blame millennials and people of Generation Z. And that is the wrong way to go with this. You know who needs to get blamed for the Tide Pods and all the other stuff I just mentioned? It's my generation. It's Generation X. It's people that are about 36, 37 years old, all the way up to about 52 or 53. You're the ones that have to be blamed for this. And now I don't have kids, so you can count me out of this. But people that have had kids in this generation, uh, that's the ones to to blame. Look, we're the first generation. Generation X is the first generation of the 50% divorce rate. We're the apathy generation. We're the ones that uh, had the highest rate of teenage pregnancy. And I'm not saying that in and of itself, divorced or teenage pregnancy is bad. But what I am saying is there was a lot of years of unsupervised kids. There was a lot of years of broken homes. And uh, we're the, the first generation to really up that statistic. And there are consequences to that. And sure, single moms and single dads do a fine job raising their kids in many cases, But there is no question that there are a lot of people that didn't. And it started with this generation. Generation Xers are the ones that started it. So if you really want to blame somebody for all the bull crap that's going on, yeah, it's fun to make fun of millennials and Generation Z for doing dumb things. But the reason they do dumb things is because they have dumb parents. And the dumb parents are, uh, well, they're people my age. That's who you point the finger at. I mean, I guess there's a couple of millennials. You could maybe people 35 had kids when they were 17 and maybe so there's a little of that. But for the most part, for the most part, it's Generation X that you have to blame for all this, these ridiculous things that are going on right now. The people that shiggy, the people that jump out of their cars and dance along said moving car, which again, the CDC, among other groups, advises against that. But It is whenever I read these stories, I just I cringe because I know millennials will get blamed, but it's really um, it's really my generation's fault. And then this one. Yes, I have more out of this. This one might even be worse. There's a blogger named Carmi Salito. He's all over social media. He's got one hundred and twenty thousand Twitter followers and people on YouTube. He posted a video of himself allegedly bathing in bleach. He filled his bathtub with water and a lot of bleach. He has a video. It's 2 minutes, 20 seconds. It shows him buying bleach at the store. Then he goes home, fills his tub, puts a bunch of uh, bleach in there, and then proceeds to bathe in it. Even at the end of the video, he's dunking his face in it. Uh, He lives in Surrey. I don't know where that is. Surrey. And he blogs under the name Touch Delight. Now, at the end of this, he says that this is a fake video. I mean, he's really in a a bath, but he didn't actually put bleach in there. He put like milk or something in. Either way, it doesn't matter. His followers, some people are actually calling him out on this. Good for them saying that's completely irresponsible. You know how this culture is right now. People will immediately start copycatting this and you're going to wind up getting people killed. Now, I say anybody that is dumb enough to do that probably deserves to die. But then again, you never know who's who's going to be the one that cleans up that mess. Well, it's not going to be me, but I'd, I'd feel bad for the person that has to come in there and see that garbage. I'd feel bad for any medical professionals that have to treat somebody that may have survived that. So I'm right there with you. And of course, people are encouraging him to take down the video. He won't. He hasn't, at least not as of yet. So there you go. That's something else disturbing that's out there. It's not a trend, at least. Not yet. 
So we'll see when this starts popping up, when people start bathing in actual bleach as opposed to a fake video. But how does this guy have 120,000 Twitter followers? I think I have 258 as of the time of this recording. This guy has 120,000. And the only thing I can think of is, well, the dumber you are, I guess, the more likely you are to have thousands or tens of thousands or millions of Twitter followers. Um, and the examples of that are, well, Paris Hilton has a whole bunch. The Kardashians have millions of Twitter followers. I have 258. If Albert Einstein were alive today, he'd probably have 600 Twitter followers. This hashtag theory of relativity is hashtag dumb. Get out of here, you dumbass. Time to go follow Kim Kardashian. Man, I really need a break from this. I uh, I just got to step away and, and take a drink, preferably alcoholic. Maybe I'll drink the bleach and get out of this mess. Uh, the world has gone crazy. And uh, uh, before I get to break, let me just get this email in because um, Greg says, Mike, I just listened to your show with the random bumpers. Awesome stuff. But I'd like you to do maybe a twist on it. How about playing random bumpers that start with a certain letter? Say, random bumpers that begin with O, for example. I'd really like to see what kinds of things your computer comes up with for that. Well, we do have a lot of songs in the system. And so, ask and ye shall receive. Here we go. Oh, boy. Problem is, I've programmed a lot of stations through the years, consulted on stations, collected a lot of music. I have a... Pretty, uh, Im pretty impressive music library. Not saying I like all the songs in the library, that's for sure. We've learned that every time we do random bumpers, but that's the way it is. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back and do more of this. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Wednesday. And we'll be back. <laughs> this song in the library. I don't think I've heard this song since the 80s. When did this song come out? I don't even know. Let me look this up in the system here. This is Gary U.S. Bonds <laughs> from this is from 1982 believe it or not. Out of Work hit number 21 in 1982. 
We may all be singing this before too long, especially if these Trump tariffs continue. My goodness. He's saying that he's going to enact more tariffs against China, it looks like. So uh, get ready for that. Um, speaking of some crazy stuff, by the way, random bumpers that start with the letter O today on the show. Yes, that's why that came up. I honestly didn't even know that was in the library. And now, yeah, there it is on the list. And uh, there's a lot of weird songs around it. I don't know. We're, we're bound for something weird. Um, anyway, speaking of music, let me get to this before we get into the heavy stuff. So earlier this year, the band Weezer did a cover of Africa by Toto. And it's been pretty popular. I've heard it on the radio a few times, heard it out at a restaurant the other day. It's pretty good. Um, let me just play you a little bit of it here. I, don't, I won't play the whole thing, but uh, let me see if I have it. Here we go. And it's a pretty straight cover. They weezer it up just a little bit, but it's um, it's a pretty good rendition. Apparently, the band Toto thinks that it's great, and they even did a cover of a Weezer song at one of their shows. They did a cover of Hashpipe, and that's neat. Weezer has some good songs. I'm not the biggest fan, but they do have some songs that I really liked. And I play you the Toto version of Hashpipe, but it's recorded off of somebody's cell phone at a concert. It doesn't sound very good, and I know a lot of you listen to this show on... Well, hopefully you listen at least through either headphones or earbuds or something because if you're just listening out of your phone, it's probably not going to sound very good at all. So I'm not going to play it. But then this prompted an article to come out about the bands that have done the best covers of Africa. And there's St. Lucia and there's all these other bands, current bands and some older ones that have done covers. But what I didn't see on there was what I found a few years ago was the best cover. In fact, this cover is so good, I actually think it's almost better than Toto themselves. These are just two guys with acoustic guitars doing this live at a pizza joint, I think, from a few years back. This is Jeff Hall and Mike Massey's cover of Africa, and this is pretty sensational. Here you go. It's a pretty impressive vocal performance to pull that off. I didn't see that on this article. How could you not include this? I know it's not an established band or established group, but this is this is probably the best cover of not only Africa, it's one of the best covers of any song I've ever heard. And it's again, it's just acoustic guitars and guys on mics live. This isn't even in a studio someplace. Sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti I seek to cure what's deep inside Frightened of this thing that I've become 
That's so good. So if you want to go check that out, I encourage you to do so. Of course, the Weezer cover, it's pretty good as well. Who knew that Toto would write a song that 30-something years later would still be covered by bands and musicians all over the place? See, I hate to break up the feel-good stuff here now with having to get back to earth and talk about something serious, but let me just get into this quickly. Jeff Sessions is in the news right now for a couple of reasons. Now, first of all, because Donald Trump is begging him to call off the Mueller investigation because... Well, the Mueller thing, he's getting very close to seeing all the dominoes fall, and that could even include Donald Trump in this investigation into the Russia hacking and the campaign of 2016 and all the nonsense that surrounds that. So Sessions is being incredibly silent on that. What I wish Jeff Sessions would shut up about, though, is the other big news, and that is that he wants to establish within the Department of Justice a religious liberty task force. And their goal here would be to establish religious liberty when enforcing federal laws. That means that, for example, it would prohibit the IRS from interceding and threatening the tax-exempt status of any religious organization, that includes churches, that lobby on behalf of any political candidate. So as it is right now, as it's structured, a church is not supposed to preach politics from the pulpit. You're not supposed to have a priest that goes up there and says, I hereby endorse Donald J. Trump for the White House. I think we need to establish our conservative values. Uh, we need to make sure that only the conservatives the win in 2018, 2020, and beyond to maintain the sacred bond of marriage and family unity. If a church does that, they're supposed to have their tax-exempt status revoked. But that's not what Jeff Sessions thinks. He thinks it's okay to go after the IRS if they try to threaten the tax-exempt status of a church who clearly has gone over the line. And so he's establishing this religious liberty task force, which is almost the opposite because he's focusing on the Christian religion. He talks about how the Christian religion, get ready for this one. He talks about how the Christian religion is under attack constantly and continuously from secularists. And he thinks that we're losing our Christian values in this country, as if the country is only Christian. Of course, he tries to go back to the whole thing that this is a Christian nation. It was founded by Christians. We're all Christians. Which, again, this is, an, this is somebody, this is the Attorney General of the United States. Hope you people are listening. This is a guy that is the head of the Department of Justice. He's got the full weight of the federal government behind him saying that we are a Christian nation and we have to protect Christian values. He's sticking up for religion so long as it's Christian religion. And he's basically, uh, he's, he's making sure that there is a closer tie between church and state, even though they're supposed to be separate. And I got into quite a discussion about this the other day on social media. There are lots of people that think that there's no such thing as separation of church and state. They even say, oh, well, that, those words don't appear in the Constitution. That's true. The literal words separation of church and state do not appear in the U.S. Constitution. However, if you have anything above about a fourth grade reading level, you'll be able to read and interpret properly, just as the Supreme Court has done through the years, exactly what the various articles 
and amendments mean. For example, the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free expression thereof. And that essentially means Hey, we're not going to establish a religion. We're not going to we're not going to tell you you can't practice a religion, but that's that right there is almost enough. So if Congress can't make a law that establishes a religion and Congress is the highest lawmaking body in the country, then no state can do it. Certainly not any other branch of the federal government who doesn't have the ability to make laws. They can't do it. So that in and of itself pretty much says that what Jeff Sessions is doing is wrong. However, we also have the Establishment Clause and we have the Free Exercise Clause in the Constitution. And they say things like, I know these are silly things, but it says that there shall be no religious test for citizenship of the United States. So you don't, you can't just ask somebody, hey, if you're a Christian, we'll let you in. But if you're not, if you're like a Jew or something, nah, you can't get in here. So there's no religious test When you put it all together, when you put the Establishment Clause, the Free Exercise Clause, and you put the First Amendment up there, as well as the 14th Amendment, which grants equal protection under the law, which says that you can't have a law that applies to one group that doesn't equally apply to others. And what he's trying to say is, ah, Christians, hey, we're a Christian nation, Christian churches, you know, you can go ahead and preach from the pulpit all you want. That violates the 14th Amendment. So Jeff Sessions is doing a lot of unconstitutional crap, or at least implying that he's going to do a bunch of unconstitutional crap, while also simultaneously bullying the IRS. And I know that none of us like the IRS because nobody likes paying taxes, but you also have to understand that they do serve a key purpose here. And they're they're the main branch of the government that or main part of the government that can tell these churches, hey, you can't and nonprofits. Hey, you can't preach from the pulpit. You can't use your nonprofit, your tax exempt status to suddenly endorse specific candidates. That's wrong. We kind of fought a whole revolutionary war over this whole thing. We kind of broke away from the British because the British had an established church. In fact, the church was so powerful over there that nothing else mattered and that they had such a big influence on the government. Then when we started this government, we tried to set it up in such a way that that couldn't happen. Well, guess what? It's happening again. It's been happening for a long time, some would argue, but... Jeff Sessions is throwing it into fifth gear and making sure that this happens a lot faster. And the other reason we should probably be a little bit alarmed about the concept of a religious liberty task force is because that same concept has been applied in other nations as well. You know, those nations that we really want to live up to, such as Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. Well, apparently we do want to be a lot like Russia. At least that's the Trump administration policy, it looks like. But the whole Saudi Arabia has a religious liberty task force. And basically it is if you try to do anything that's not Sharia law, uh, good luck. Good luck. You, You might face some moral consequences from that. You will be violating moral law. You could face things like prison time, stoning, death, all that sort of thing. So... Uh, Religious Liberty Task Force, I know they're not saying that right now. I know people are saying, oh, come on, it's not ever going to be like Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it starts out not being like Saudi Arabia, but before you know it, that's exactly where we head. We can't start having church and state become more and more interwoven. It's bad enough that churches have tax-exempt status. It's bad enough that churches get away with a lot of the things that they do. And I'm not against churches per se. I'm not against 
religious people per se or people of spirituality or faith. I do dislike organized religion. I inherently distrust it because it becomes so powerful that it is essentially its own government. The Catholic Church, for example, they're so powerful that they operate above the law. Look at all the pedophile priests they have had and still have within the Catholic Church. You think that that big exposure of the pedophile priests that's been going on in the late 90s and 2000s, you think that that slowed them down? Maybe just a tiny bit, but they're still back at it. They're up to it again. They're still shuffling priests around over there. Churches, organized religion gets to a point where it operates above the law. And all organized religions suffer from that, but probably no none bigger than the Catholic Church. And considering that the Supreme Court is turning more conservative, and I don't just mean politically, I mean religiously conservative, which is far more dangerous, considering that is in play right now, I would be very worried about something like this getting upheld. And if there's one thing that we've definitely learned from the last election, it's that there are a lot of sycophants out there that will defend something like this. They'll say, oh, I think it's great that we have a religious liberty task force. I think it's wonderful that we can just make sure that our churches are protected from that bad old government and that they can do whatever the hell they want. That's You don't understand the the level of danger that that has with it. It's not just about their tax-exempt status. It's not just that they're preaching from the pulpit. It's that now they are becoming intertwined with government at a very high level. And the two will have influence over one another. And there's a lot of very powerful people on both sides that are going to be making sure that that moves forward and it starts to establish a religion in this country. And before you know it, um, you know, we have all these various weird archaic morality laws back on the books again. It's it doesn't take long for something like that to happen. This doesn't happen overnight, but it doesn't take more than, you know, a decade or two for this to really come into play and start hitting citizens really hard. May even take less time than that, especially with the way this Trump administration and Jeff Sessions and all these other guys operate. And religion is inherently dangerous. And, you know, I'm not I'm not an atheist, but it's hard for me when I see certain things. It's hard for me not to just say it's all bullshit. I mean, it's really hard for me not to say that. I'm I'm agnostic. I'm the religious free agent. I don't really have a religion or a faith. I kind of make fun of all of them. I think they're all silly. The Mormons and their magic underwear, the Jews, the 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 Pentecostals, the whatever, the Hindus. It's all they all have good traits to them as well, but they all have some inherently negative traits because well, they all fight over imaginary friends, basically. Uh, but this this is just kind of a little off topic, but this is something I found while uh, doing show prep too. The Episcopalian Church, just to show you how much this is all bullshit, the Episcopalian Church has just amended their interpretation of the gender of God. Now, if God does exist, why would God have a gender? Why would an all-powerful being have have a specific gender? Because why would that God need genitalia? And why would that God have a specific type of DNA that defines their gender? It's always been one of those things that I've never understood. But the Episcopalian Church says, yeah, God's not a man anymore. God is not part of the LGBTQ community either. God's not transgender or transsexual God is just basically androgynous. God does not have a gender, which is actually 
correct. If God does exist, God wouldn't have a gender. Why would they? Why would it? Um, I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> but they had to, they're amending it. It's like these guys, they change the rules on the fly. They change the rules whenever they really feel like it. Well, we've got to make sure that we keep people in our religious faith and with everyone switching to this LGBTQ nonsense and transgender and transsexual and changing identity roles, we need to come up with a way to make sure that people still believe in God. Well, now, Brother Jeremiah, don't you fret. I present to you the new God. This one is androgynous and 97% pedophile-free. Isn't it great how organized religion is just like some comic books where they go back and they can just retcon the story and people still follow it. People still believe in it. And they'll go to the same church and say the same stuff and believe the same things, except they'll say, oh, well, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, God's not a man anymore. God's just an androgynous being. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see why they changed that. They just changed it in the middle. You believed something your whole life. Suddenly they change it. And then you're like, ah, but sounds great to me. And actually, the comic book analogy isn't even accurate because when they change things in comic books, those fans actually get really upset. They have protests and petitions and they go down, they write these angry letters. They get really pissed off. People in religion, because it's religion, they'll just buy into it. They'll say, oh, okay, that sounds fine. The Catholic Church has been slowly changing to say, okay, well, birth control, some birth control methods are actually necessary. This Pope Francis, you know, he's been out there uh, he said, yeah, uh, you know, some degree of birth control, I think, is actually necessary and responsible. If you're not using birth control, it's irresponsible. We've read those stories and the Catholic Church, nobody gets upset by it. Now, of course, they shouldn't because that actually makes sense. That's logical. But still, religious people, people that are part of these organized religions, they'll buy into anything. Even if you change it right in the middle, it doesn't matter to them. And I guess there's a part of me that is a little bit jealous of people that can just turn off their brain and subscribe to some faith and not even question it or not even sit there and say, boy, this just doesn't make any sense. Why would there be this God, this this all-powerful being, and he would want us to have this whole thing where we worship him all the time and we love him and we tell him how much we love him and, oh, he's our only savior. Like, does God have some sort of a narcissistic complex? There's a part of me that's just jealous and wishes that I could be like that and that I could believe in something that exists in the afterlife. But until there's something that actually presents itself to me, until there's something that, you know, opens my eyes, so to speak, until a being appears in front of me and teleports in front of me and, you know, does something that proves that they exist, then I I can't really buy into it. Now, at the same time, I'm not an atheist because I don't have enough faith to say definitively, nah, well, there's no God either. There's no architect of the universe. I don't know. I mean, it all sounds like bull crap, but I really don't know. And it is terrifying to think of the fact that it's just oblivion at the end, that there's nothing. It's blackness. It's something that I think about quite a bit. And it's... Actually, it's one of my two fears. My two fears, I, first one is heights. The other one is the fact that there's nothing and you just exist in this final moment of, of emptiness and you realize it as you're dying. And it's that last moment of, of torturous fright that lingers in, you know, in your mind. It's the last thing you think about because you know that it's oblivion. It's darkness. 
It's endless. And even though you don't really have consciousness of it, it would be nice to have something else after this. It would be great. I hope that there is. I really wish that there is. But just because I hope and wish for something doesn't mean it exists. I hope and wish I had $100 million. But that doesn't make it happen. It doesn't make it so. And these guys think it does. And yeah, I'm a little bit envious of people that can just have unquestioned faith and not really delve deeper into some of these mysteries and some of the contradictions that exist within just about every religion that's out there. And maybe these people have the same fear of death as well. And their method of coping with it is just to hope and pray hard enough that there is something after all this because nobody wants to think that this is it and that after you die, it's just darkness. No one wants to think that. And some people have the ability to say, you know what? I really believe that there isn't just darkness. I believe that there is this magical place in the sky or there's another plane of existence or uh, there's whatever, whatever you believe. I don't know how you do that, especially after I read all of these various religious texts, the Bible and the Koran and the whatever. I, I don't know how you believe in any of this stuff. And then when I see these stories about various churches just changing the story, uh, it's just, it doesn't sound right. None of it sounds right to me. Maybe there's a lot more people out there that are like me that don't really know what to believe, but they just do it. They, it's one of those things, fake it till you make it. So they're not ever going to admit to me, oh yeah, I'm totally scared too, but I just believe in that. No, they're just going to say, nope, I have total faith that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But I really think that there's a lot of people out there that are like me. At least I, I that's my theory on all this. I don't know. But since I don't really know what to believe, I don't believe in anything. And I hope one day something presents itself to me and says, this is it. You know, my dad, before he died, my dad started to get kind of uh, into different faith. Uh, he started to kind of go the semi-Christian route. He believed in God at the end, which was weird because my dad was a lifelong agnostic. But I guess just before he went, he figured, yeah, might as well believe in God because who knows? I might as It's better to believe in something than nothing. I have no idea, but he was able to find peace in the last two to three years of his life, so good for him. And I'm not going to sit here and say it'll never happen to me, but I just don't see a scenario where it does. So that's my dilemma right now. But maybe I'll have the same revelation. Who knows? I guess before you die, you have a lot of revelations about life. I've already had quite a few, I think. Uh, I don't have enough time to share them here, but, you know, they come out over the years. Like this discussion certainly brings out a lot of those same kind of philosophies and, and to have a dialogue about it. And that's a good thing in any event. Well, let's take a break because uh, I've got a lot of stuff still to get to. We've got the song of the day. We've got our Who Gives a Fuck segment. There's so much more worth talking about and we'll get into it uh, here as we continue. More coming up. Sadly, it's the best podcast available. You're listening, listening. You're listening to the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. This is an
where's his Sunday best? Mother's tired, she needs a rest. The kids are playing up downstairs. Sister's sighing in her sleep. Brother's got a date to keep, he can't hang around. And final segment of the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show for a Wednesday, the 1st of August, 2018. Groffshow at gmail.com is my email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. That's also the PayPal address for this program for your most generous contributions, groffshow at gmail.com. Michael Groff is where you can find me on Twitter, The Michael Groff Show on Facebook, and for everything else Michael Groff related, it's the one and only michaelgroff.com where you can listen to previous episodes of this show. You can also donate to us over there, or, of course, you can subscribe so that whenever we post brand new shows, you'll get that sent to you via email. I really recommend that if you want to get our latest shows, you can sign up on iTunes or Google to get shows sent to you via that avenue as well. And I'm just thinking about this, um, first of all, the random bumpers that start with the letter O today. Uh, that's been an interesting mix, to say the least. I dig this song, though, so whatever. I don't care. Judge me all you want. Um, it's fun. I think I over-prepare for this show. That's the conclusion I've come to. And I put a lot of stuff into a Word document when I'm kind of preparing for the show. I also write a lot of things down when I'm not here doing show prep. And what it winds up being is a list of anywhere from 25 to 40 things that I wind up having on my list of things to talk about for the show. And of course, I can't get to them all because if I tried to, this show would be three to four hours long and nobody wants that. My voice especially doesn't want that. So we have all these things to talk about. Sometimes it's stuff that's held over from previous shows. Sometimes it's other political stuff. Sometimes it's just news or current events, sociological things. Um, there's just stupid things, random observations. There's sports. Uh, it's just the wide array of stuff that you would expect to have on this show, the kind of stuff that we do all the time. Um, and there's a couple of things that I'm going to get to, just sort of house cleaning things in just a minute, stuff about Facebook that I forgot to bring up, but... Here's just one thing that's on the list. I, I had to fit this in today. I don't know how I couldn't. The New York Mets set a franchise record for futility, which, of course, is saying a lot because the New York Mets have been Major League Baseball's punching bag for quite a while. Yes, I know. Reds fans, you think your team is bad. Marlins, well, the Marlins have just given up as an organization, as have the Tampa Bay Rays and others um, recently. But... The New York Mets, they try so hard, but they just keep finding new and creative ways to lose. Last night, they were in Washington to play the Nationals, and they wound up losing the game 25-4. to <laughs> A franchise record uh, for the biggest loss in Mets history, and that's saying a lot. They were down 19 to nothing after five innings which had only been done one other time in baseball history. And for that, you'd have to go all the way back to 1876 when the New York Mutuals were playing the Hartford Dark Blues. <laughs> a creative name for a team there. And so the 19-run deficit, 19 to nothing. They were down after five innings. Finally, they did get a couple of runs in the ninth inning uh, to complete uh, a 25-4 to blowout. 
And that's kind of an interesting turn to the story in and of itself. Now, remember, the Washington Nationals, they used to be the Montreal Expos, an organization that has also had its fair share of oddities through the years. And this is just another example of that last night. So up 25 to 1 in the top of the ninth, manager Dave Martinez of the Nationals sends reliever Sean Kelly out to pitch the ninth inning. Clearly, he doesn't want to. It's just mop-up duty. It's just completing the game, finishing it out. Uh, with a 24-run lead. And so uh, Kelly goes out there and proceeds to melt down. He gives up three runs on four hits, including a two-run home run to Austin Jackson. And immediately after giving up the home run, he takes his glove, slams it to the ground, glares in at the dugout. He clearly didn't want to be in the game in the first place. Then he really didn't want to be in the game after giving up the home run. Uh, And so manager Dave Martinez thought that uh, Kelly was showing him up. And so immediately after the game, Sean Kelly was designated for assignment, which means he was thrown off the team, ousted, gone, fired, axed, see you later. And I actually applaud the Nationals for doing that. One of your own players demonstrates that he doesn't really want to be out there. He throws a temper tantrum, despite the fact that the team is clearly going to win the game and he melts down like that. Well, you send a message, you say goodbye. So good job, Nationals. I'm actually, this is not sarcasm. I'm actually giving them a compliment in how they handled that. And the Mets, well, <laughs> oh, the Mets. I, uh, I, I'd I love to say I feel bad for you, but you know what? I don't. Another guy I don't really feel all that bad for, maybe just a little bit, but not really, Mark Zuckerberg. Now, we talked about this last week after he lost $15 billion of his personal wealth And Facebook lost $120 billion in one day when their stock went down. We were so busy talking about that that I didn't even get into this story that came out that morning. Uh, Facebook approved $10 million plus bucks out of its budget for Mark Zuckerberg to have 100 security personnel around him at all times. Yes, his own personal security force of 100 people. That's a lot. That's more than the president of the United States has, probably. I mean, sure, uh, maybe they're not Secret Service, but he's paying $100,000 a year, I guess, to each one of these, if my math is right, for round-the-clock security. And he's going to need it after the stock took a dump like that and after all the other shenanigans that Facebook is up to of late with the banning of various accounts and the removal of all those various Facebook pages. I'm sure he's going to need that security detail. And in a related note, breaking news, just in, Donald Trump says that because Mark Zuckerberg gets 100 security guards, he wants 101 Secret Service agents. That's right. I have to always be just a little bit better. If he can have 100, I need 101 Secret Service agents. Uh, I am the most controversial president of all time, but I'm also the greatest president of all time. Therefore, I need more security detail than some guy that just runs a social media outlet social media outlet that's going to start posting a bunch of fake news about Trump. Don't believe all the fake news about Trump. Going to need that. So I'm getting 101 security agents. In other Facebook-related news, guess who has been banned from the platform for 30 days? And it's not me. I just got a warning a few weeks ago. But no, I have not been banned. However, everyone's favorite conspiracy nut, Alex Jones, has been thrown off of Facebook for 30 days because... Well, because he's a scumbag, really. And this, it doesn't get much worse than this. And I'm a supporter of free speech. I have no problem. I don't say he should be thrown in jail for this. However, yeah, I'd probably just go ahead and remove him from the platform. You know what? 
scratch that. I wouldn't remove him from the platform for this. I'd want to keep him up there so everybody can see this stupidity on full display. But he posted a thing, and this has been something that he's been talking about for a while, so this is nothing new. But Alex Jones claims that the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting from, what was it, five years ago, where 27 people were killed, two people were injured. He says that was a false flag. He says that it didn't really happen. Those are all actors. People didn't die. Um, he has a whole thing about it. He posted it over there on InfoWars, and he, he went on quite a rant about that. And uh, it's just kind of despicable that he would do that. But there you go. And he continues to post that stuff despite the fact that he actually had been uh, warned or given a 30-day ban off YouTube, I believe, for the same thing. Uh, Maybe it was last year. And he's been in trouble from other outlets for posting that kind of stuff as well. He's facing a defamation lawsuit for that claim also from the victims of Sandy Hook. I mean, what kind of a asshole do you have to be? I'm all for a good conspiracy theory. Don't get me wrong. Certainly, I've read quite a few about the Vegas shooting and some of them even make at least a little bit of sense. Obviously, we're never going to have all of the answers as to what went on there. But I don't think there's any big cover up or conspiracy surrounding Sandy Hook. Uh, I don't think there's anything that is all that mysterious about it. Maybe there's a couple of things that didn't get reported, but there's always that with any sort of mass shooting. There's always some element of it that the police keep under wraps or that the investigators keep under wraps, at least for a while, until they conclude their investigation. Maybe some of that stuff just get gets sealed up. You know, in the case of a presidential assassination, that stuff gets sealed away. The JFK stuff is, is put away for 75 years. Um... You know, we're never going to completely know what happened there either. That's fine. You want to talk about JFK and conspiracy theories around that? That's one thing. But to say that Sandy Hook was some kind of a false flag operation and some kind of a, uh, there's a bunch of actors there and no one really died and all. I mean, that's just disgraceful. And to to peddle that on the air in in that voice of yours, it was a false flag, the globalist. I don't even know how he does. I can't even do an accurate impression because his voice is so raspy and so ragged. And he's only four years older, a little less than four years older than I am. That is disturbing. He's 44 years old. If I, he's, and he's had that voice for a long time. He looks like he's about 60. He sounds like he's about 70. And uh, that he's been smoking for forever. I, I mean, I can't imagine what those vocal cords look like. I mean, they've got to just have nodules and, I don't know, some kind of growth all over them. What a douche. Anyway, enough about that guy. Let's move on to something at least a little bit more positive as it is a birthday celebration today. Yes, it was on this date, August 1st, 1981, that MTV signed on the air for the very first time. And that brings us very nicely right up to the song of the day. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Song of the day. Well, you knew we had to do it. It was the very first video, the very first song ever aired on MTV. And it's kind of ironic when you think about it now. Here it is. The Buggles. Video killed the radio star. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show song of the day. I heard you on the wireless back in 52. Lying awake intently tuning in on you If I was young it didn't stop you coming
Struggles. Video killed the radio star. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show song of the day. The very first song ever played on MTV back in 1981. Kind of ironic because it's a song about one form of media pushing out another one. And now the internet has killed the video star. MTV used to be culturally relevant back in the 80s and 90s. They played music videos. Then they did those weird shows, those dancing and grinding shows. And you got to see a lot of Carmen Electra and Jenny McCarthy's boobs. And then after that, well, it was pretty much downhill from there. Anyway, we've got one more piece of business that we have to get to, of course. You know what time it is. Who gives a fuck? the news that the media wastes valuable newsprint megabytes and airtime reporting. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? And the only question we're left asking is who gives a fuck? It's our ongoing effort to expand the demographics of this program and that's why I present to you stories that I may not necessarily care about and some of you in this audience may not either but clearly the majority do because they're in newspapers and media outlets everywhere. It's music news, entertainment news. It's all the stuff that normally we just skim over, but we put it all into this segment right here. Those of you that were fans of Anthony Bourdain and his exploration of cuisine from all over the world, plus his warm-hearted and compassionate storytelling, I know there's been a void ever since his death, but fear not because in to fill that void there can be only one man. And that man is Chef Gordon Ramsay. He's got a show called Uncharted that will premiere in 2019. And he will, kind of like Anthony Bourdain, go to various uh, places all over the world and sample their cuisine and probably tell them how they could make it better. You can just see it now. He goes into some Eastern European restaurant and he's trying to figure out what the hell they're serving him. What in the ever-loving... Is this rubbish that you've put in front of me? Oh, this is how special. It is fresh, deep-fried rat served in bowl of gazpacho with healthy sprinkling of maggots. Is this some kind of a joke? All right, what sort of desserts do you have here? Uh, for dessert, we have slice of tree bark. Great, really great. What in the hell is this disgusting on top of it then? Uh, that is from packets of powdered gravy that we found in an uh, abandoned truck that ran into snowbank. We're going to do a complete overhaul of this menu. Well, I thought you were just here to... Shut up! First of all, we're going to have some prime rib or some filet mignon or some kind of steak on the menu because what I'm seeing here right now is absolutely disgusting. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have filet mignon. We're going to have some prime rib, garlic, mashed potatoes. Delicious. Maybe some couscous, some kind of uh, asparagus, maybe hummus. And then for dessert, how about some chocolate lava cake? Actually, here in country of Boris Yitzkenstein, it is illegal to use uh, grains or potatoes for anything other than vodka. I can't wait for Mr. Sophisticated Palate to have to eat some of that Eastern European food or somewhere in Southeast Asia. I mean, this show is not going to last very long. He's going to explode. No question about that. All right, uh, Bill Cosby is in the news again, and this is becoming just crazy. There's lawsuits on top of lawsuits. Now, of course, the latest round is that um, many of these women that have accused him of sexual assault through the years are now suing him for defamation because he's called them all liars and phonies and frauds and all this. And he has a very interesting defense for some of them. There's a woman in particular named Catherine McKee 
His argument against her and why she can't possibly defame him is because she was a celebrity throughout the 70s and 80s. She was on shows like Sanford and Son, Good Times. She was a local news anchor in Los Angeles. So he says that she had all this access to the media where she could get free publicity to trash him and lambast him as much as possible. And so therefore, she cannot possibly be defamed and she cannot possibly defame him. Uh, so it, it's one of those things where I guess the that's the defense. She's kind of a celebrity, and in order to prove defamation against a celebrity, obviously the statute, the the qualifications, the quantum of proof is a lot higher. I guess that's his argument. Well, fine. Let's just say that we buy into that, which seems silly. It doesn't excuse the fact that you still probably raped this woman. It doesn't excuse the fact that um, you're still calling her a liar. Bill Cosby, now unlike some of the people that have been caught up in the Me Too thing that we've sort of, I don't know, just accused them or we've just determined that they were guilty uh, without any sort of trial, uh, Bill Cosby is, uh, well, he's facing about five dozen accusations. And I think we're all pretty clear on the fact that he is a scumbag. I mean, he even did bits in his stand-up comedy about um, using Spanish fly on women. So we kind of know what's going on there. Anyway, that is the most bizarre defense of the day. And what has become a regular feature on this segment, we usually talk about some kind of a reboot. Well, this time, there's not a reboot. It is, um, this is a prequel. Remember the series 24 on Fox? They want to do a prequel uh, giving more backstory to Jack Bauer or something. I don't know. I liked 24 the first season that it was on. I thought it was pretty cool, although that's an awful lot of crap that happens to that guy in one day. What's the prequel like? I mean, is he going to take his kids to soccer practice? Dad, you're going to help us work on our science project tomorrow, right? That's right. Nothing on this world could keep me from helping you with your science project tomorrow. I promise. And that's where the, the, the show, the series starts up. Damn it. Had to help my kid with a science project today. These bastards are going to pay. So that's, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you can do with a prequel. Man, is TV out of ideas completely. Holy crap. All right. Um, what else? Oh, Sony. Sony has bought out Michael Jackson's estate. It's EMI share for nearly $300 million. So I guess Sony is going to have all of uh, Michael Jackson's music and whatnot. Uh, what they're going to do with that, I don't know exactly. But uh, I, I can't believe that any form of media now, or at least even a, a music catalog, even if it's Michael Jackson, how how is it worth $300 million? I'm not sure how that works. I mean, especially now, because it's not like you're able to sell music like you used to be able to. The, the whole landscape of the music business has changed, but I mean, I know there's still royalties. I, I get that, but is it, is it really worth $300 million? Seems weird. I know there's other things. There's trademarks and all sorts of stuff. Um, all right. And of course, I'm a big fan of lists, and there's a website that has come up with a list of the 100 greatest television episodes of this century so far. Of course, this century being, you know, 18 years old, but um, so they have on this list uh, the, I don't know, there's like a Price is Right episode from this past season in which uh, uh, 
all three contestants got a dollar, two of which got another dollar on their bonus spin. So they, you know, the contestants between the three of them won $80,000 on the wheel. Uh, that was a big deal. There was the John Stewart episode of The Daily Show that where he came back right after 9-11. That's on there. Uh, there's an episode of Law & Order SVU on there from season five. But let me just give you the top three. All right. And unfortunately, most of the shows on this list I haven't seen. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. And this is something for those of you that might be new to the show or maybe some of you that don't know me. I have never seen an episode of what is number three on this list. Game of Thrones, season three, episode nine, The Reigns of Castamir. I have not seen that episode. I have not seen that show at all. Not even a minute of that show. I don't know. Everybody tells me how awesome it is, how epic it is. Oh, my God. Such a great show. Yada, yada. Still have not seen an episode. I, I know I'm I'm guessing I'm missing out, but I've not seen it. All right. Number two on the list is an episode of Mad Men from season four, episode seven, The Suitcase. Again, another show. Never saw an episode. And the number one, the top rated episode of the most uh, interesting or the best episode in TV for this young 21st century is Lost Season 4, Episode 5, The Constant. Now, I started to watch Lost um, and I kind of got lost. I mean, that was the that was the weird part about that show. I watched it for like a season or a season and a half, and I, I just couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Um, there was the the people that got stranded. Then there's something called the others, and then there was like the others, others, and I don't know. I got completely. It just became such a convoluted, weird story. And then I missed a couple of episodes. And back then, you know, we didn't have Netflix necessarily. Yeah, there was DVRs and stuff that was starting TiVo. But yeah, I I didn't really follow it. So I don't know. Lost was one of those shows. I know, again, another show that people said was really good until the last season. And then everyone said that it sucked. I think they wanted to bring that show back for a while, too. I'm not sure exactly what wound up happening with that. But I don't think it... Uh, I don't think it got very far because I don't know exactly. I don't know how it ended. I guess they got off the island. I have no idea. I don't know. It turns out it was all a dream sequence and the cast of Lost uh, all woke up next to Emily in bed. I have no idea what happened. Okay, I really don't. And some sad news here. Uh, Alan Alda, 82 years old, the, of course, star of MASH, played Captain Hawkeye Pierce. Uh, he has announced on CBS this morning that he has Parkinson's disease. Is it me or is that becoming more common these days? I could be completely off base on this, but I just, it seems like I'm reading more and more about people getting Parkinson's. God, that has got to be just, uh, uh, that's got to be a hell on earth. That's like MS or anything that affects the nervous system. It's just got to be some kind of a weird hellish nightmare prison type of thing when you just slowly lose your ability to move your own muscles and to control your body in any sort of meaningful way. So Alan Alda, we're looking out for you, Hawkeye. And what else here? Um, oh, there's a petition online and I don't know how serious this is. This is one of those things that I, I think this is just a goof. But let me just pretend like it isn't for a second. There is a petition that has, I don't know, a couple of thousand signatures now online uh, that's asking to reform Nirvana with Chad Kroger of Nickelback on lead vocals. 
Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and pass on that one. Um, I'm not like a lot of people that just hate on Nickelback, though. I don't know why Nickelback is so hated by people. That's one of those things that's never really made that much sense to me. Oh, but Mike, it's cookie-cutter rock. It's just so basic. It's, there's nothing really... There's no depth, you know? That's true for a lot of music that's out right now. It's true for... That's Lady Gaga. That's, uh, that's Taylor Swift. Have you listened to pop music? Yeah, but it's rock. It's just real co- cookie-cutter rock. Have you heard a lot of the rock that's on the radio right now? A lot of cookie-cutter stuff. Just because it's cookie cutter doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. I don't know. I think just about anybody that's listening in this audience right now would love to be in Chad Kroger's shoes. You're, you know, you're surrounded. You got, you got beautiful women that have come through your life. You've got so much money. I mean, insane money. Just the royalty checks alone. I could live off of just his royalty checks. I don't know. I don't understand. Now, again, I'm not saying Nickelback's my favorite band or anything. Don't get me wrong, but I don't understand the complete and utter hatred, especially when there's stuff out there that's far worse. I don't know. Anyway, that's going to about wrap it up. Groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. That's also the PayPal address for your most generous contributions. Again, groffshow at gmail.com. On Twitter, you can find me at Michael Groff. Facebook, it's The Michael Groff Show. And for everything else Michael Groff related, well, you know, all you have to do is go to the one, the only, michaelgroff.com. And while you're there, you can listen to previous editions of this program. Plus, of course... You can subscribe to us so that when we post new shows, you'll get that set up. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or Google, so I highly recommend you do that for the one, the only, Michael Groff Show. Thanks so much for listening. Really do appreciate it as always, and good night, everybody. Everybody.